0: Welcome to another episode of 100% Legal, a podcast brought to you by the Aberdeen University Law Society. My name is Megha and I will be your host. Today we have a very exciting episode as we explore the law from the perspective of a judge. Today we are joined by Lady Drummond who is a judge presiding in the High Court in Aberdeen. The judiciary play an extremely crucial role in upholding the law. And in this episode, we get to hear Lady Drummond expand on her thoughts and opinions and share some advice with us. Good afternoon, Lady Drummond. Could you begin by telling us about your journey from being a solicitor advocate to now being a judge in the High Court?
1: Thank you, good afternoon to you. And thank you very much for um, inviting me to do this podcast with you all. My journey from being, in fact, an advocate it was to a a judge was that I'd been an advocate for, I'd say, about 10 years or so before I contemplated applying for a judicial role. But um, although I'd been an advocate for 10 years, I'd actually left practice at the bar in Scotland for two years to work as Crown Counsel on Ascension Island in the South Atlantic. So I was planning on returning to the bar um, and I was wondering about uh, taking on a part-time judicial role for when I returned to the Bar. What uh, had happened was that I was, as Crown Counsel in Ascension Island, at first instance, working with people in the judicial system who were all lay people, and that included the advocates who were lay advocates and also the magistrates who were lay magistrates. So i had been involved in training them, not only as advocates, but also as judges and that had got me interested in the judicial role. So at that time, I applied for the role of part-time sheriff, and the immediate journey was a a physical one because it was a nine-hour flight from Ascension Island on military aircraft to attend the interview at the Judicial Appointments Board. Thankfully, uh, that paid off, and I was appointed a part-time sheriff, and I did that for five years, whilst also being uh, an advocate at the bar. And then after five years, I applied for the full time Shrival post and I became a resident sheriff in Dundee Sheriff Court. I did that for seven years before applying to become a senator.
0: Thank you. So that's obviously a big transition from becoming an advocate to being a judge. How big was the leap um, into becoming a justice after being an advocate? And do you ever miss the experience of physically advocating before the court?
1: Well, it's certainly a leap. It is a different job being a judge than it is being an advocate. You are now the person that's making the decisions rather than trying to persuade the decision maker to follow your submissions or your suggestions. So it's certainly a change. It's no longer the battle to win against your opponent, um, but the challenge is to reach what you think is the right decision based on the evidence and the arguments that have been presented to you And that said, it's perhaps not as much of a leap as you might think it is. Um, Part of the advocate's expertise is to think about what the court might do with the various arguments that are presented to it. And that includes your opponent's arguments. So it's very much your job as an advocate to anticipate those as much as possible and anticipate what the court might do. Um, And often um, you are instructed in appeals and often you're instructed in several cases in, for example, judicial reviews, where you'll be scrutinizing decisions of tribunals or other judges. So you are, in that sense, very well acquainted already with the task of uh, making decisions and how those are made by courts and and how those are scrutinized. So um, inevitably, when you're advising your clients, you have to consider uh, the judicial task and what it is that the court might do. I do sometimes, uh, in answer to your second part of that question, think that I miss the uh, being an advocate, and particularly that the highs of advocacy, and um, don't particularly miss the lows of it. But for example, there, there are cases I can think of where um, I lost the case at every level and uh, finally succeeded in front of the Supreme Court. And that can be uh, quite an exhilarating experience but of course nobody wins all their cases all the time and uh, that's no matter how good an advocate you are inevitably you're going to lose cases and there are laws that comes with that there's the responsibility of explaining that to your client and uh, that can be difficult at times and challenging the judicial role can have its own ups and downs of course but i do find that on balance it is a more level keel I enjoy listening to the arguments as a judge, testing, scrutinising those with the aim of trying to reach a clear decision with clear reasons in support of that.
0: From your experience as a judge, what would you say are some standout qualities that you look for in a good advocate?
1: I think for me, um, there are two particularly, and they are being precise and concise very much related. The main focus in any case is for the judge to resolve what is in dispute between the parties. An advocate that has fully understood not only their own case, but their opponent's case. An advocate that can explain what is in dispute accurately, clearly and concisely makes a very positive impact on the court and a really strong impression. It's really important that an advocate can analyse the matters that are in dispute, applying the law to the facts accurately and directly, and can concisely address the court on how it should resolve those issues. That can be of huge assistance to the court, and I am always really impressed when I see that in action.
0: Thank you. Alternatively, what would you say is the most important quality a judge needs to
1: have? I think, I mean, obviously quite a lot of qualities, but I would highlight what I would call intellectual humility, probably calls for a bit of explanation. But for me, it's it's a willingness on the judge's part to think and reason for oneself, but really to try and penetrate the arguments and to get a deep understanding of them. I think for that, it's really the quality of Being willing to keep an open mind to to wonder, to ponder, to ask why and to possibly even challenge assumptions that might have been made in the case. So very important, I think, to be open minded and give a fair and honest hearing to the competing perspectives. But I think it also includes creating your own initial judgment, challenging maybe some of the assumptions that you're making yourself as a judge before you reach your decision.
0: Well-known quality that a judge needs to have is judicial independence and impartiality. In your opinion, how important important is judicial independence and impartiality? And do you personally ever find it difficult to be truly neutral in cases?
1: Well, judicial independence and impartiality is absolutely critical. Um, By judicial independence, I mean both as an institution so that the judiciary stands apart from the executive and parliament but also it's important in a sense i think you're uh, meaning to touch on which is that as an individual judge we must be able to decide cases according to our view of the law and not influenced by any external pressures or prejudices or any sort of extraneous considerations so the The judges, as you probably know, take a a judicial oath on office, and that's essentially uh, an oath that says that they will do right to all under the law without fear or favour, affection or ill will. So that's a commitment by an individual judge to decide a case according to their view of the law, not influenced by external pressures. That's very important. It's important because judges require to reach decisions on evidence and on the law and not influenced by some... um, random or extraneous matter and it's important i think for for the rule of law and for society to ensure that the law applies equally to all and can be seen to apply equally to all it's important that public perceive that there is trust in the justice system and for all that i think the making of a reasoned decision as i mentioned earlier is imperative it's really important to show the reasons why a decision has been made so that you can evidence that it hasn't been influenced by uh, other matters and it is truly an impartial decision. Of course, is neutral on all matters. Judges are no exception to that. And we're all human beings and uh, we do have personal experiences, of course. We've got personal preferences like everybody else in the world. We're never going to eradicate that, um, but what a judge can do and should do is recognize that uh, there may well be these other factors at play And ensure that they do not influence their decision and that they do in fact reach a truly impartial one.
0: Thank you. Do you think that the law treats everyone equally and are there any ways you think that this can be improved?
1: Well that's quite a general and wide question if I may say so and I think quite difficult to answer without giving a comprehensive review of every area of law and analyzing it in terms of a uh, equality and uh, its application so quite difficult for me to answer that what, what i would say more generally is that there are certainly very many safeguards built in place in the law which through legislation and the, the common law aim to achieve equality in the law and examples of course i'm sure you're familiar with are the human rights act the equality act to name two very fundamental and important statutes so as a judge you are generally conscious, your antennae are constantly alert to ensuring that cases are dealt with fairly, and that those that come in contact with the justice system are being treated fairly and equally, and of course in accordance with their needs because people have different needs when they come in contact with the justice system, vulnerable people in particular. But it's an ongoing process, it's an ongoing process of assessing in any case what's required, of monitoring the law, of to listening to the arguments that are presented about it, and adjusting accordingly.
0: Is it hard to detach yourself from the cases brought to you? Are there any cases that you would say have deeply affected you or would you say you've become desensitised to cases now?
1: Well, I think some cases are harder to detach yourself from than others. Um, I know when I was at the bar there were some long-running cases that I acted in with some sensitive subject matter which I found harder to leave behind. And there are some cases that I've dealt with as a judge that are like that also. Um, But most advocates and most judges would probably say that whilst you can invest a lot in a case, there is most often another case that has to be dealt with immediately after that one. And that can very much act as the the next focus and and help you to leave the the one that you've just dealt with behind to some extent. I, I think it's also important to value um, life work balance and to take seriously the need to unwind and detach from a caseload to take your mental health seriously that applies to you as a judge just as it does to an advocate and to anybody that's working colleagues friends and your family can of course be a great source of support and I think it does help to have outside interests something that you can focus on outside of work that can take your mind off things and, and let you unwind thank you
0: what in your opinion was a landmark decision of the high court during your time on the bench and why do you think so
1: well i've chosen not in fact a high court case but a case from the the court of session which is uh, a case called whiteman and others against the secretary of state for exiting the european union that's a case that was dealt with and there were a number of uh, decisions from the courts at various levels but the the one that i want to to focus on is the one that um the decision was given in 2018, reported in 2019, and it's a decision from the inner house. There was a petition for judicial review which involved what was a constitutionally important question of whether the United Kingdom could legally revoke notice of withdrawal from the EU. And it was a, a group of MPs, MSPs and NEPs that brought proceedings And the reason that they brought proceedings was they wanted to obtain a ruling from the European Court of Justice on whether the UK could unilaterally revoke the notice. The inner house ultimately decided to refer the question to the European Court of Justice, but they only did so after previous uh, courts had decided that the matter was academic and uh, shouldn't be um, the subject of justiciable proceedings. So it was important for that reason, but it's also, it's really an exceptional case because The court made an advisory declaration through referring it to the EU court, simply because there was good reason in the public interest to do so. There was deep uncertainty at the time about that question, and it was a really important question for politically and, and for the future of the country. The court in its judgments, and there are three from the judges in the inner house, addresses some fundamental and important questions about where the lines should properly be drawn between the judicial function and also the functions of the institutions of the constitution, i.e. parliament and the executive. So it's a very important decision from that perspective also.
0: And what is one area of law you would like to see be reformed during your lifetime?
1: Well, I, th- I think what I would say, first of all, is that I'd like to recognise that in the last two years during COVID, the Administration of Justice in Scotland has made some significant and fundamental changes to adapt to the pandemic and to address the consequent backlog of cases that has arisen. Much has been gained in terms of flexibility in taking evidence in the arrangements that are made now with virtual hearings and responding to the needs of court users. So I think there has been a lot of progress in the last couple of years and really what I would like to see is the law further adapt to these changing times and to build upon what has been learned over these last two years. So that the, the courts and the administration of justice become as accessible and efficient as they can be, I think we've seen in the last two years just how much can be done when it needs to be.
0: Thank you. My next question is, for someone who followed the work pathway of a solicitor, do you ever think it's too late to enter the judiciary? And what would be one piece of advice you would give a solicitor looking to make this change in the direction of their career?
1: I would say it's never too late. Um, Stereotypically, it's more often the other um, argument is made that the judiciary is, in fact, for people that have the experience and come to it later in life rather than the younger uh, practitioners. I think it's important and I think it is recognized today to have a a diverse judiciary made up of people of all different ages, not just ages, backgrounds, all sorts of other protected characteristics represented there. Someone with more experience may of course have a broader perspective, they may be able to display the necessary qualities for a judicial role, they may have much to offer, but equally there's room for the younger judge who can bring a different perspective. To it all, so I'd say there's no hard and fast rules. Certainly not too late to apply, and I would encourage everybody from all uh, backgrounds to do so. The the one piece of advice that I'd give to a solicitor is really a very practical one, and uh, it is keep a record. Um, as dull as that may sound, it's actually of great practical um, assistance to you if you do apply for a judicial role. That's because when you do apply for a judicial role the judicial appointments board are not interested in your assertions of how great a candidate you are and all the qualities that you possess what they're interested in is you evidencing from your own experiences that you have the qualities that they are looking for so as a solicitor you are going to be dealing with all sorts of clients you'll be experiencing sometimes novel sometimes difficult situations And at times, you're likely going to have to explain complex law to your clients in terms that they can easily understand. All of that could provide evidence that you have the relevant qualities for a judicial role. Keeping notes of situations you've been in might exemplify some of those criteria. Uh, And I'm thinking of things also as exercising sound judgment or working with others. It's going to make your application so much easier for you if you have a stock of examples that you've kept a record of rather than having to trawl through the what can seem like a very messy filing cabinet in your mind <laughs> up against some deadline that the judicial appointments boards have set for you to complete the, the application so that would be my top tip: start your record today and keep it on going
0: and on average how many years of experience does a judge need to have being an advocate before they can apply for being a judge
1: it depends on the role uh, that you're applying for. I, th- I think some of them are five years. I think some of them are, are 10 years. I mean, you can apply. Uh, another th- thing that many judges do is um, they gain some experience early on in a, in a tribunal role, for example, and their criteria can be different. But So uh, I would look at those. Um, but I would say that that is a, another practical step that you can take is try and get some sort of judicial experience, whether that's as mediator, even arbitrator, or uh, working more formally as as a judge in a tribunal setting.
0: And finally, what would be one piece of advice you would give to students who wish to pursue a career in advocacy and aspire to become a judge one day?
1: So I would say to the students, go and find out as much as you can about it. And a good way to start as a student is by mooting in the university. Uh, law faculties, as you'll be well aware, I'm sure have mooting societies. They're coached by solicitors, advocates, and sometimes sheriffs and other judges. It is a great way to develop your presentational skills, to learn about analysing legal problems, and just generally about court craft. Many of the competitions are between universities, and you can learn as much from your own experience taking part in a moot as you can from uh, your own feedback, but also from seeing how other teams perform in the moots and seeing what's worked for them. It's also a very useful way to meet practitioners and also judges. You can, of course, also attend courts yourself. Um, Most cities where universities are have courts, sheriff courts, sometimes the high court sits in some of the cities. These are generally open to the public. You can sit on a criminal trial or a civil case and you can observe the practitioners and judges in action. And I would very much encourage you all to do that.
0: Thank you so much for telling us your story and the advice you have given us today. Really appreciate you taking your time out to join us.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for listening to our episode.
0: Make sure to follow our podcast 100% Legal on all our social media. Our handle is ABDN Law Society and we can be found on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Hopefully, we will see you all on our next episode. Goodbye for now.